chapter eighteen of gossip in the first decade of victoria's reign by john ashton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eighteen the royal ball costume the queen shot at by francis and by bean duke of cambridge's star chartism income tax female chartist association a gypsy trial closing of the fleet prison married in a sheet enormous damages in a gambling case there was a great flutter of excitement over the queen's fancy dress ball which took place in the throne room of buckingham palace on twelfth may its leading feature was the assembling and meeting of the two courts of anne of britannia the duchess of cambridge and edward the third and queen philippa the queen and prince albert a separate entrance to the palace was set apart for the court of brittany the duchess of cambridge assembling her court in one of the lower rooms of the palace while the queen and prince albert surrounded by a numerous and brilliant circle prepared to receive her royal highness in the throne-room which was altered so far as to be made as much as possible to harmonize with the period the throne was removed and another erected copied from an authentic course of the time of edward the third it was lined as well as the whole alcove in which it was placed with purple velvet having worked on it in gold the crown of england the cross of st george and emblazoned shields with the arms of england and france the state chairs were as near those of the period as the archaeology of the time could compass and the throne was surrounded with gothic tracery at the back of the throne were emblazoned the royal arms of england in silver seated on this throne the queen and prince albert awaited the arrival of anne of britannia which ushered in by heralds took place at half-past ten the various characters then formed a procession divided into quadrilles the french german spanish italian highland russian waverley and crusader quadrilles and marched into the ballroom where dancing at once commenced the queen and prince albert watching the scene seated on a whole pas at one o'clock the earl of liverpool the lord steward conducted the queen and prince albert to supper and when they had finished the guests were attended to after supper the queen danced a quadrille with prince george of cambridge their vis-a-vis -vis being the duchess of boucla and the duke of beaufort then some reels were danced and the queen retired at half-past two this account would be strangely incomplete without some account of two or three of the principal dresses to give an idea of the splendour of the show the queen's petticoat was of red velvet trimmed with ermine the ground of the jacket was garter blue with a large pattern of leaves woven in it of gold and ornamented with precious stones hanging sleeves lined with ermine the mantle was of cloth of gold worked in silver and trimmed with gold lace and pearls lined with ermine and fastened in front with a broad gold band worked in diamonds and other precious stones her shoes were red silk worked with gold and diamonds the crown was a facsimile of that worn by queen philippa and was ornamented with diamonds and precious stones under the crown descending to the sides of the face was a network of red velvet and diamonds prince albert's underdress of a garter blue ground was worked in large gold flowers lined with red silk the collar and cuffs were ornamented with diamonds and precious stones 
the cloak was of red velvet trimmed with gold lace and pearls and was fastened in front with a band of diamonds and different coloured precious stones and was lined with ermine his hose were of red silk and he wore shoes of red velvet embroidered with gold and satin his crown was that of edward the third ornamented with diamonds and precious stones the sword-belt was of red velvet studded with rosettes of gold and diamonds the sword was richly ornamented with the rose thistle oak and shamrock in diamonds and precious stones the cross forming the handle containing some very large emeralds the mantle of the duchess of cambridge as anne of britannia was of crimson velvet bordered with ermine looped up at the sides displaying the petticoat of cloth of silver worked in silver and gold fastened with diamond ornaments the top was edged with two rows of large pearls having between them a variety of ornaments formed of sapphires emeralds and diamonds the lower row of pearls had beneath it a fringe of large diamonds formed into drops the stomacher had rows of large pearls of very great value mixed with diamonds extending from the stomacher to the bottom of the mantle were rosettes and other ornaments of diamonds sapphires and emeralds forming a broad band down the mantle the ceinture was also composed of brilliants emeralds and sapphires the sleeves were fastened with diamonds and sapphires and the necklace was of emeralds and brilliants the diadem was composed wholly of pearls and diamonds except the fleur-de-lis by which it was surmounted which was composed of emeralds and sapphires the headdress was decorated with two rows of large diamonds and one of pearls the veil was of gold tulle the duke of beaufort having been selected by the duchess of cambridge to personate louis twelve in the french quadrille of which her royal highness was the leader his grace appeared in one of the most splendid dresses handed down by montfaucon in his monarchie francaise the dress consisted of rich blue velvet sumptuously embroidered in gold with which were intermixed rubies emeralds pearls and other precious stones with a large diamond star in the centre and an opal of priceless value set with diamonds the cloak was of cloth of gold lined with white satin and trimmed over with powdered ermine the belt worn by the noble duke on this occasion was of crimson richly studded with precious stones and fastened in the centre by a large diamond buckle sword a valuable specimen of the art of that period the hilt being of gold exquisitely chased a crimson velvet hat with feathers confined in the front by a costly jewel space prevents my giving any more of the dresses and i only notice that the earl of cardigan appeared in the french quadrille clad in armour as boyard the chevalier sans reproche as almost any one's dress was ablaze with diamonds and other jewels it is pleasant to think that very few losses were sustained and those were generally of trifling value the only loss of any moment was that sustained by prince albert from the girdle of whose gorgeous dress is supposed to have dropped a valuable brilliant of great size on thirty may about half-past six in the evening as the queen was returning from her usual drive and was close to buckingham palace she was fired at by a young miscreant named john francis aged twenty described as a carpenter he was at once seized and examined by the privy council 
the simplest account of the event was given at the boy's trial by colonel arbuthnot one of the queen's equerries whose testimony was as follows my general position is about five yards in the rear of her majesty before we left the palace i had received an intimation which induced me to ride as close to her majesty as i could and colonel wilde prince albert's equerry rode in the same position on the other side between six and seven o'clock we were coming down constitution hill when about halfway down the hill i observed the prisoner and on the carriage reaching him he took a pistol from his side and fired it in the direction of the queen as quickly as i could i pulled up my horse and gave the prisoner into custody the prisoner had before this caught my attention as appearing anxious to see her majesty the colonel went on to say that the utmost distance from the carriage when francis fired was seven feet the cortege had been going at the rate of eleven miles an hour but the colonel had given instructions at this spot to go faster and the postilions were driving at the rate of twelve or thirteen miles an hour the queen was sitting on the back seat of the carriage on the side nearest to the prisoner the pistol seemed to the witness to be pointed in the direct line of her majesty on the news being communicated to the houses of parliament they adjourned in confusion as it was found impossible to carry on the public business whilst in that state of excitement next day both houses voted congratulatory addresses and the same were sent by every corporate body throughout the kingdom the queen who could not fail to be affected by this attempt upon her life nevertheless attended the opera the same evening and met with a most enthusiastic reception francis was tried on the charge of high treason at the central criminal court on seventeen june and found guilty there being no reasonable doubt but that the pistol was loaded with something more than gunpowder his sentence was that you john francis be taken from hence to the place from whence you came that you be drawn from thence on a hurdle to the place of execution and that you be hanged by the neck until you be dead that your head be afterwards severed from your body and that your body be divided into four quarters to be disposed of in such manner as her majesty shall deem fit and the lord have mercy on your soul this sentence was commuted to transportation for life and on sixth july he left newgate for gosport and he was sent to norfolk island by the first transport sailing thither this mania for shooting at the queen was infectious if oxford had not been treated so leniently there would have been no francis and if there had been no francis there would have been no bean this was another young miscreant aged eighteen deformed and very short it was on sunday three july when the queen was going from buckingham palace to the chapel royal st james's that in the mall this boy was seen to present a pistol at the queen a young man named dasset saw the act and this is a resume of his evidence at the trial on twenty five august he said he saw the royal carriages coming along and saw the prisoner come from the crowd draw a pistol from his breast and present it at the carriage at arm's length and breast high and then he heard the click of a pistol hammer upon the pan but there was no explosion he seized him and assisted by his brother took him across the mall and gave him to police constable hearn who said it did not amount to a charge 
another policeman likewise refused to take the prisoner who only asked to have his pistol back again the pressure of the crowd was so great that he was obliged to let bean go and afterwards the people said that witness himself had been shooting at the queen and a policeman took the pistol away from him in his cross-examination dasset said that some person in the crowd laughed and others called out that the pistol was not loaded an inspector of police deposed to having received the pistol from witness and he unloaded it the charge was not large and consisted of coarse gunpowder some short pieces of tobacco pipe and four small pieces of gravel bean got away for a time but was afterwards captured and tried found guilty and sentenced to eighteen months imprisonment in millbank penitentiary the old duke of cambridge the queen's uncle had a fright on the sixth july when he was at a fete at jesus college cambridge for he lost the diamond star from his breast valued at five hundred pounds everybody thought it had been stolen by an expert thief but it was afterwards found by a police inspector in the gardens much trodden on and with three diamonds missing so it was all's well that ends well there was great distress in the manufacturing districts and disturbances originating in a strike for higher wages were inflamed by the chartists and other political agitators beginning in lancashire the riot spread through cheshire staffordshire warwickshire and yorkshire and finally extended to the manufacturing towns of scotland and the collieries of wales there were conflicts with the military and people were killed altogether matters were very serious it was bitter in london on nineteenth august a chartist meeting was to be held on clerkenwell green but plenty of police were there to meet them most of the mob were discouraged and went home but the police were obliged to arrest some fifty of them and some banners were captured then they went to lincoln's inn fields and in longacre they came into collision with the police and some damage was done so serious was the outlook that all the military in the metropolis and the suburbs were kept under arms and there were large reserves of police at every station-house and next day the magistrate at bow street had a busy day hearing cases arising from this outbreak on the twenty second august there were chartist meetings at clerkenwell green and paddington the latter numbering upwards of ten thousand but the worst cases were managed by the police and no very great harm came of them on twenty two june sir robert peel's bill imposing an income tax received the royal sanction it is five and six vic c twenty five an act for granting her majesty duties on profits arising from property professions trades and offices until the sixth day of april eighteen forty five we see that it was imposed only for three years but the old man of the sea once on the popular back has never come off and in all probability never will it began at seven pence in the pound has been as high as sixteen pence and as low as two pence there is in blackwood's magazine for august eighteen forty two the income tax an excellent new song all you who rents or profits draw enough to come within the law your buttoned pockets now relax and quickly pay your income tax a pleasant medicine's sure to kill your only cure's a bitter pill the drugs of base deluding quacks made peel prescribe the income tax 
you can't enjoy your pint or pot and then refuse to pay the shot you can't pursue expensive tracks with a toll or income tax ye quakers clad in sober suit and all ye baptist tribes to boot twas right perhaps to free the blacks but thence arose this income tax ye bagmen bold ye lovers fond who daily like to correspond remember as you break the wax cheap postage means an income tax ye noisy fools who made a rout to try and keep the tories out the blunders of your whiggish backs have brought us to this income tax old cupid's wish footnote a well-known nickname for lord palmerston old cupid's wish to crush the czar has cost us in the afghan war both english lives and indian lacks and hastened on the income tax regardless of the price of teas they angered too the poor chinese the mandarins have shown their backs but war soon brings an income tax yet now i hope the new tariff will something save in beer and beef if that be so you'll all go snacks and half escape your income tax at least we poor folks fear no shock at hearing the collector's knock his jest the poundless poet cracks on him who calls for income tax the day of reckoning for the rioters of august duly came and both at york and salford assizes many were punished and at the end of september fergus o'connor was arrested in london for sedition as were other chartist leaders at manchester and leeds in october more rioters were tried and sentenced at stafford and liverpool even women meddled with chartism and on seventeen october a meeting of female chartists was held at the national charter association in the old bailey to form a female chartist association to cooperate with the original society a mr cohen created some dissatisfaction by speaking against the interposition of women in political affairs he put it to the mothers present whether they did not find themselves more happy in the peacefulness and usefulness of the domestic hearth than in coming forth in public and aspiring after political rights miss inge asked mr cohen did he not consider women qualified to fill public offices it did not require much physical force to vote mr cohen replied with an argumentum ad feminan he would with all humility and respect ask the young lady what sort of office she would aspire to fill if she would fill one she would fill all he was not going to treat the question with ridicule but he would ask her to suppose herself in the house of commons as member for a parliamentary borough and that a young gentleman a lover in that house were to try to influence her vote through his sway over her affections how would she act whether in other words she would resist and might not lose sight of the public interests order order he wished to be in order he was for maintaining the social rights of women political rights such as he understood that meeting to aspire to she could never in his opinion attain this drew forth an energetic speech from miss marianne walker she repudiated with indignation the insinuation that if women were in parliament any man be he husband or be he lover would dare to be so base a scoundrel as to attempt to sway her from the strict line of duty miss walker was much applauded and after the business of the evening she received the thanks of the meeting 
in the times of october five there is a paragraph about a gypsy trial and as that curious nomad race is fast disappearing it may prove of interest to my readers a short time since a very remarkable circumstance took place in the new forest hampshire in the instance of a gypsy named lee being cast out of the fraternity the spot where the scene took place was at bolton's bench near linders between three hundred and four hundred gypsies belonging to different tribes including the lees stanleys and coopers were assembled upon this unusual occasion the concourse consisted of a great many females and so secretly had the meeting been got up that scarcely a person residing in the neighbourhood was aware that a circumstance of the sort was about to take place the offender a handsome-looking man apparently between thirty-eight and forty years of age was placed in the middle of a ring composed of the king of the gypsies and the patriarchs of different tribes this ring was followed by a second made up of the male portion of the assembly and an exterior circle was formed by the women the king one of the lees who was a venerable old man and one who looked as though he had seen upwards of ninety summers then addressed the culprit for nearly an hour but in a tongue that was perfectly strange to the bystanders the address was delivered in a most impressive manner as might be conceived by the vehemence of the gesticulations which accompanied it none but the gypsies themselves had the slightest knowledge of the crime which had been committed by the offender but it must have been one evidently very obnoxious to the tribe as the act of expulsion from among them is an exceedingly rare occurrence as soon as the king had finished his speech to the condemned man he turned round and harangued the whole of the gypsies assembled and expressing himself in english he informed them that jacob lee had been expelled from among them that he was no longer one of their fraternity and that he must leave the camp of the gypsies for ever the king then advancing towards him spat upon him and the circle which enclosed him simultaneously opened to admit of his retreating from among them while they smote him with branches of trees as he left the ground the meeting then broke up and the parties assembled went their different ways some of them having come some considerable distance in order to be present at the tribunal early in november mr j simon l l b was called to the bar being the first jewish barrister connected with the middle temple a hebrew bible had to be obtained on which he could be sworn and a difficulty having arisen owing to the custom of jews putting on their hats when taking an oath the size of the wig rendering it impossible in this case it was ruled that the head was sufficiently covered by the wig on thirty one may eighteen forty two an act five and six vic c twenty two was passed for the demolition of the fleet prison and on thirty november the records books etc and the remaining prisoners seventy in number were removed to the queen's prison the marshalsea was also closed and its three prisoners were also transferred the fleet had been a prison ever since the time of william the conqueror writing about the fleet prison sets one thinking of the marriages solemnized within its rules and there is an entry in one of the registers the woman ran across ludgate hill in her shift in the times of fifteen december i find the following copied from the boston herald gedney a most extravagant exhibition took place here on friday 
a widow named farrow having four children was married to a man named david wilkinson and the woman having been told that if she was married covered by nothing but a sheet her husband could not be answerable for her debts actually had the hardihood to go to church with nothing on but a sheet sewn up like a sack with holes in the sides for her arms and in this way was married i have come across several instances of this vulgar error on the third december was tried a famous gambling case which ended in the discomfiture of a notorious gambling housekeeper named bond it was a case in the court of exchequer smith versus bond at the gaming-house kept by the latter the game played was usually french hazard and persons of rank were in the habit of staking large sums against the bank held by bond to whom reverted all the profits of the game in one evening they amounted to two thousand or three thousand pounds considerable losses were sustained on various occasions by mr Bredell, captain courtney mr fitzroy stanhope the marquis of cunningham lord cantaloupe and general churchill the action was brought under the act ninth and c fourteen to recover from bond the sums alleged to have been unlawfully won a verdict for the plaintiff was returned on five out of ten counts with damages including the treble value of three thousand five hundred and eight pounds the sum lost half the damages went to the parish End of chapter 18